Good morning, everyone. Hope you have a wonderful day. Continue. We left off. We're in the ninth chapter of the Dardim on the top of page 65a. Okay, if I make a vow, I'm not going to benefit from my friend. And then he wants to release the, himself from the vow. He does want to benefit from his friend. We don't release him only when he's in front of the friend that he said he's not going to benefit from. What's the reason why? Why is it important? The Braise says... And when you make a vow, I'm not going to benefit from so-and-so, and he wants to release himself from that vow, he doesn't want to benefit from so-and-so, he can only do it in front of that person. Why? So there's actually two reasons given, and there are implications. There are different there are consequences and implications of these two different reasons um, when you apply this law. One reason the Jerusalem Talmud says is because, because of shame. In other words, he made a vow to the benefit of the other person. The vow that he made benefits the other person. Like Moshe made a vow, he made a vow that benefits Yisra. He's not going to leave Yisra. He's not going to go back to Egypt. He's going to stay. So now he wants to release himself from this vow. So he's embarrassed. Here he made a vow benefiting the other person. And now he wants to retract so when the other person is present, he's not going to come up with a flimsy excuse, a release that's not based on anything real. It's going to be something real. So let him be ashamed, let him be embarrassed. So unless it's a genuine release, you know, he'll be too embarrassed and ashamed to release himself of the vow. According to this reason, it's only if it benefits the other person. If it's a vow that doesn't benefit the other person... It restrict, I'm restricting myself, I'm not going to benefit, but the, the vow doesn't help the other person whatsoever, well, then what does... It doesn't what, affect the other person. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't affect the other person, then, then, then why do I care? I mean, then, right. then of course it he could release himself. It doesn't matter. He could release himself, even he doesn't need the other person present. Then there's another explanation Yerushalmi says. Yerushalmi says, because the other person will see that then he, this person who made the vow goes ahead and is benefiting from him. So the guy is a liar, he's a cheat. He made a vow and he's not keeping to it. So he'll suspect him of being a bum. Mm-hmm. What kind of bum is this? He makes a vow and he doesn't keep it. He doesn't know that he released it. So in order, that's what we say, it has to be in front of him so he should know that he released him. So when he sees himself, he's benefiting from him, he'll realize he's not a bum, he's not violating a vow, he released himself from the vow. According to this, it doesn't matter if the friend benefits from this vow. It doesn't matter what difference does it make. Another practical difference is, if the whole reason is because the, you want the person to know, then it's, I don't really have to be present. There's another option. I can notify him. I'll send him a message. You should know that I released my vow. And that's good enough. The purpose is not it has to be in front of him. But if the purpose is because the friend benefits from the vow, and now you're depriving him of this benefit, so he's ashamed. He's only ashamed if he's standing in front of him. That's why it has to be physically present. I don't know if I make a telephone call, you know, I'm going to release my vow. That information doesn't help me. You should look me in the eye. You made a vow to my benefit, and now you're trying to release yourself from that vow. Look me in the eye and tell me you have a good reason, you have a good release. You know, so he'll be embarrassed to come up with a flimsy, uh, flimsy reason to nullify the vow. Okay. How do we know this? Nachman says, it says, it says in the beginning of Exodus, that Hashem said to Moshe, go 
back to Egypt, because the people who tried to have you killed are dead. What do you mean uh, Why did Hashem tell Moshe? Why did the Tater say he told him in Midian? We know Moshe was in Midian then. Hashem tells to Moshe, in Midian, you made the vow while you were in Midian. Go and release yourself from the vow in Midian. You made the vow in front of your father-in-law. The Yisrael, go and release your vow in front of your father-in-law. Let's see what it says. It says, And Moshe agreed to dwell with Yisrael. Yoel comes from the word Allah, which means an oath. In other words, Moshe took an oath that he's not going to leave Midian. He's never going back to Egypt. The Chesivet says, And the Vuchadnezer brought Sitki under an oath. It says in in, in, in Yechaskel, and the gam, the gam, the melech, that Tzidkiah rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear an oath by Hashem. So he gave Nebuchadnezzar an oath. My Marduse, what was Tzidkiah's rebellion? He once met him eating a live rabbit, a live hare. And Amalei, he said, Sidkiya, Ishtabali, swear to me, you shouldn't reveal, divulge the secret. Keep my secret. Ishtabali swore, in the end, Sidkiya suffered, suffered physically because of his constraint. He wanted to undermine the Vukhadnatsa. When people would learn how barbaric their king is, or a barbarian, so therefore Ichil Shwasa, he went to ask the Sanhedrin to release himself from the oath. And he said, and then he told everyone what happened. So this was the rebellion. That was the Allah. So also it says, the Allah. So again, these two examples are oaths which were to the benefit of of the one he made the oath. This was the benefit of Yisrael. He's going to stay in, in Midian and not go to Egypt. His oath, not the benefit from Egypt, not to go to Egypt, was for the benefit of, 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 of Yisrael. And he made an oath to the benefit of, of Nebuchadnezzar. He's not going to reveal a secret. He's really a barbarian. Nebuchadnezzar heard that people are ridiculing him. The word got out. Everyone was saying, look, 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 what a barbarian we have as our king. Shalof, I said, and he sent for the Jewish Supreme Court and and he said to them, do you see what Sidkiyo did? Didn't he swear in Hashem's name in the name of God in heaven that he'll keep it a secret and he revealed it? They said, he released himself from the oath. You allow a person to release himself from the oath? in, yes. He said to them, Could he do it without in front of me? He made the oath to me. He promised me. You're releasing him with, in, in, without not being in front of me? 
not without my presence. It's only permissible in his presence. Like we just learned. When you make an oath for another person, you have to, if you release it, yeah, he has to be present. So he said to them, So why did you do this? My time Why did you tell Sidhiyo that it's wrong? You're not allowed to release. Even though he was the king, you should have stood up to him. You're the Supreme Court. You're supposed to stand up to power. Not like today. Yeah. yeah, no, no, the last Jewish king in Israel before the destruction of the, of the first temple. Yeah, immediately Yeshua commanded to sit on the ground, be silent, elders of the sea, and remove the cushions from beneath them and force them to sit on the ground. He demoted them. What kind of judges are you? You guys have no spine, no backbone. He didn't stand up to the monarchy. He wanted to release himself, and you knew it was wrong. He didn't say a word. It was illegal. When the court acts illegally, it's all over. <laughs> that first, he honored them because they were they were they were dignitaries. They were the, the chief rabbis of the Jewish people and the, the scholars and the judges. He sat them on golden thrones and cheers, golden cheers. Then when he when he found out that they acted illegally. He dishonored them, put them on the floor, and then he tied them by the hair to the tails of horses and dragged them through the streets. So there was a judge who, who's not fearless, who won't stand up for the rule of law like the Supreme Court justices we have today, who are a bunch of intimidated by the politicians and the powers to be. That's what they deserve. Yeah, that's what, yeah, exactly. The one real person in the whole court. Argument amongst the Rishonim. Okay, so clearly the Gemara says, Rabbi said, that you have to annul in front of the other person. What if you went ahead and annulled with not in front of the other person after the fact? Is it a release or is it not a release? Is it a good annulment or not? But some argue from Sitkia the fact that he relied on it. And he could self annul. No, not self annul, but not in front. No, the rabbis, the rabbis annulled it. The rabbis of the Supreme Court annulled it. But it wasn't in front of Nebuchadnezzar. Is it a good release? Is it a good annulment or not? And then he went ahead and publicized. He made a vow. Did he violate the vow? Or no? Once it's annulled, it's annulled. It's not proper. It should have been done in front of Nebuchadnezzar. But he didn't listen. But the annulment is still an annulment. He wouldn't have violated the annulment. Tzitki was a righteous king. He wouldn't have violated the annulment. So others say no. Hashem rebuked him for it. It's not only, not only the fact that they released the uh, vow without, not in the presence of the Bukhanetzer, but also the fact that he violated the vow. It's not a good release. So that's an argument. Oh, the reason they were punished, Hashem punished them, was not because the releasing of the vow was a good release. It's not ideal, but it was a good release. The, re- the reason why they were punished was because of Hashem, because it caused the desecration of Hashem's name. Once it became public, and Bukhanetzer called him, called him to it, and called him on it, it was a terrible desecration of Hashem's name. This explains that the Sanhedrin did not do anything wrong. Actually, Sanhedrin had the right to do it. Why? What do you mean? It goes against the rabbinic law that it has to be. It has to be in his presence. Why was this the exception? So he says, because Sidkiya was in such pain. 
therefore interfered with his duties, they, they felt they had to release him because he just couldn't function. It was more important. It overrides. Or it's a mitzvah to listen to the king. Even though you don't, not, you don't listen to the king if he's asking you to violate Hashem's law, which includes rabbinic law, which is also Hashem's law. So how could you say, well, the king ordered us. We're afraid of the king. But it's against the law. It's illegal. <laughs> it's illegal, it's illegal. Even if it's only rabbinic, it's still illegal. You don't listen to the king when he asks you to do something illegal. But since after the fact, it is good. Since B'diyavit, after the fact, it is a good release. Therefore, it's not considered illegal. If it was really illegal, it wouldn't be effective even after the fact. Since after the fact, it is good. So in a case like this, it's only rabbinic. And after the fact, it is a good release. They may have had the power, but... Now, Nebuchadnezzar made a deal with Sidkiah. He gave him his life for an exchange, and he won't divulge a secret. After he found out that he... Divulge, others learn in general, the whole Gemara means, the fun of doesn't mean literally it has to be in his presence. Fun of means with his permission. With his permission. You have to get his permission. In other words, here, here the vow was based on a... Not just a favor, he it's a favorite him. But there was no permission. Exactly. In the vow, the said, I'm giving you your life for the vow. So you can't release yourself from the vow unless I give you permission. It was an exchange here. Or Moshe Rabbein. Or Moshe Rabbein in Yisrael. Yisrael, I'm giving you my daughter's hand on the condition that you don't go back to Egypt. You stay here. I want you to live here. I don't want you to leave. leave. I'll never see you. So you can't just release yourself from the vow without his permission. It, it's a two-way street. It was a, there was a deal here. So you can't release yourself from your part of the deal. Just go to the rabbis. Okay, I'm released from the deal. Then, then it's a joke. We make a deal. We made a vow, you, you made a commitment, and then you go to the rabbi and, you, you know, it's, it's, I can release myself. I need my permission. Without my permission, it doesn't help. There are things which are like a new development and not like a new development. In other words... Even though they are new developments, we, we treat it as like it's, like it's not a new development, and therefore we could nullify the vow based on that. And the rabbis don't agree with him. How is this? How so? He gives an example. Amadi said, He says, I'm going to marry, I'm not going to marry this woman because her father is wicked. I don't want to marry the daughter of a wicked, wicked man. She could be righteous, but I don't want to marry the daughter of a wicked man. But then they tell him, you know, her father died. Her father became a baltruva. Now he's no longer wicked, he's righteous. He said, this house, I will never get into this house. Why? Because it has a wild, evil dog. Or there's a snake. A poisonous snake there. Amrle, and they tell him, Mesa Kelev, the dog died. Ishnadaganachas, the snake was killed. These are like new developments, but are not like new developments. So therefore, the, the vow is null and void. The rabbis disagree. No, it's a new development, right? The dog died, or the father died. Conditional you don't. You don't have to nullify it. It was conditional. So therefore, the, since the condition changed, it was a mistake. It would change. If it changed, I never made the vow. I only intended the vow. For, I gave you the reason. 
if the reason no longer applies, then there's no longer any vow. You don't even have to release it. You don't have to go to the sages, to the rabbis. Either the rabbis disagree and they hold that you, you don't say automatically the null and void. You have to nullify the vow. You can use it. You can use it as a. No, you can never self nullify. To come in front of the sages, the rabbis can nullify it. The one rabbi, the wise one, or three laymen. You have to have a panel or, or one wise. One. So either if the rabbi mayor says you don't need to release the vow, it's automatically the vow is over, gone. The rabbis argue and say no, you have to release the vow. You could use this as a basis of the vow. The others, however, argue, says that mayor doesn't say it's automatically released. He's just saying you can use it as a release. You can use this as an opening, even though it's, it's something, a new development. And the rabbis say, no, you can't. That you can't even use it as a release. Why? A different version where the rabbis agree with Rabbi Meir. Okay, let's learn the Gemara. The Gemara, the Gemara, it says in the Mishnah, came from Nichols of Baishish, I kill why die is a new development. You can't make an opening and a new development. Like we said, because why would I? I wouldn't expect him to die. I would have made the vow anyway. I, would, I wouldn't expect the dog to suddenly drop dead. So therefore, it's not a good release. How can a mayor said it's a good release? Since he explicitly made dependent on a fact, he says, I'm not going into the house. Why? I'm not going to benefit from the house. Why? Because there's a dog there. I'm not marrying this guy's daughter because he's wicked. So therefore, it doesn't matter. It's a new development. The moment he's no longer wicked, the moment the dog dies, he's good to go. He's saying, it's not, it's not an opening. He's making it conditional. The whole vow is conditional. As long as the condition is no longer gone, then there is no longer any vow. He never prohibited. I only prohibit it as long as there's a, uh, this condition. As long, the vow disappears. What happens? The father became a Balchuva. And he marries her. Right? There was a conditional. Now the vow no longer exists. No, that he's not going to marry her because, because, uh, because the father is wicked. Then he turns on Balchuva. The mayor says he can marry her. What if then he reverts back? He becomes a rush again. What? The father can. Yeah. What if then the father reverts back? He becomes a rush again. Then <laughs> the vow kicks in. You're not allowed to. I'm not going to marry. Yeah, but it means I'm not going to marry. I'm not going to marry. You're already married. It's done. Yeah, not, there's never a true in the first place. No, no, it's not true. A person could be sincere at the time and then uh, a test, a big test, and he failed the test, you know. It happens all the time. Why? It's not true. It's not true at all. He was very sincere, very genuine for a minute and a half. <laughs> he reverted back to his good old ways. Look at the Jews. Forty days he stood at Sinai, they were tzaddikim, and then the golden calf, they reverted back to idolatry. He can't, at the moment of Sinai, it was very genuine. It wasn't. It was very real. I disagree. Does the rabbi say he didn't? He has. To, he didn't say explicitly. I'm only making the vow as long as the father is wicked. I'm only making the vow as long as the dog is alive. He didn't say that. Yes, he said, I'm making a vow because the dog. But I didn't. I didn't explicitly say as long as. No, he says because. But he didn't say. Only as long. He didn't spell it out. So even though it's clear that that was his intent, it's not doesn't matter. 
So you can't say, or either the rabbis say you can't, you can't say, you don't say automatically the vow is over. Yeah, you could use it as an opening, or maybe they say no, you can't even use it as an opening because it's a new development. Was, he would never have made. He would have made the vow, even had he known, because he wouldn't have expected it that the dog should drop dead, or the father should suddenly turn into Balshuva. What are the chances? Or the father should suddenly die when she's still in marriageable age. He's suddenly going to get hit by a car. I mean, so he would have made the vow anyway. You know, so therefore he can't even use it as a release, according to some. Rabbi Yechonon Amar, Rabbi Yechonon explains, Kvar mei, so kvar osir, tshuva We're talking about, he said, when he made the vow, we're telling him, it was a mistake, the whole thing was erroneous, the whole assumption was wrong. He had already done tshuva, you didn't know that. You made a vow because you thought the father is wicked. The father is the most righteous person in town today. The Baal is greater than the tzaddik. Look, look. At the time that he made the vow. The dog already died. You have no reason to make the vow. The whole thing was a mistake. False. Fake news. So he's not, it's not saying it's an opening. He's saying the whole thing was a mistake. So therefore it never took effect. Making a vow because I'm not going to step foot in the house because there's, there's a dead dog. I'm sorry, it's old news. The dog died already. Before. There's no dead dog. I would never have made the vow. In the first, I would never have made the vow. I only made the, I'm telling you, I'm making the vow because I don't want to. I'm afraid of that dog or that snake. I'm not going to marry a daughter of a wicked person. What wicked? He's the greatest Jew in town today. The whole thing was a mistake. So there was never a vow in the first place. I don't have to release it. Mayor means it's like a new development. You don't need a development. I don't need a release. It, it, never, it never started in the first place. But he means it, 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 it may appear like a new development. You can confuse it with a, with a case of a new development. In a case where the father dies after the vow, if you're going to allow in this case, where the father died before, you may come to also allow the case where the father dies after. So the Rameir says, I don't have to worry about that. And the rabbis say, yeah, we do have to worry about that. Because people are going to confuse the two cases. They won't realize to make a distinction. Because he died even before he made the vow, then it's okay. But if he dies after, then it's not okay. That's what Rabbi Echanan understands. We continue on side B. He challenged Rabbi Echanan. We learned in the Mishnah. We're going to learn later on in the next Mishnah, later on in the chapter. If a person makes a vow, I'm not going to marry so and so, the ugly one. I'm not going to marry an ugly woman. It turns out that they know she's, she's, um, she's, she's stunning, she's gorgeous, she's beautiful. The whole thing was a mistake. She's what ugly, what ugly. She's the most beautiful girl in town. Or he heard, he heard wrong information. I'm not going to marry a dark complexion. But Levana turns out she has a white complexion, light complexion. I'm not going to marry a short one. Maria Ruka turns out she's tall. Mutter boy is allowed. The whole nether is null and void. It's based on false information, false assumptions. So there was, it never kicked in in the first place. Not because she was ugly and she became beautiful. Something changed. Not because something changed. Sort of Nasaruka, suddenly she was short and she grew. She grew in the meanwhile. The whole vow is an error. It's a mistaken premise. Okay. 
So what's his question? So bish lemer avun according to avun makes sense. Oh my, he holds. Nase besula nase ketayla nase ketayla nidre bedav. Avun says the reason is because it says if he explicitly stated I'm making my vow in a condition. And therefore, since the condition changes, the vow no longer exists. So we have two Mishnas. Our Mishnah is coming to teach us a case where a person makes a condition, a conditional vow. So as, uh, once the condition is gone, then the, the vow is gone. And the next Mishnah teaches us about making a mistake. The whole assumption is wrong. According to Rabbi Echna, he explains our Mishnah. It's also a mistake. The whole premise was wrong when he said, I'm not going to marry her because her father is, is wicked. And turns out he already did Shuvah before that. It was a false assumption. So if that's the case, so why do I need two separate Mishnahs to teach me the same ruling, the same halacha? But it says kasha, it's taka difficult according to Rabbi Yechenah. kasha. Also, why didn't they ask? Also, the rabbis here, the rabbis argue over there. Do the rabbis argue? Why don't they argue there and why do they argue here? You can understand why the rabbis argue. It's not a question. Because here, you may come to confuse this in a case, if you're going to allow this case. Where it turns out it was a mistake, what if it wasn't a mistake? And then the father does tshuva. So it's, a person will confuse these two cases. Therefore, the rabbi said, but there... A person's not going to grow suddenly tall. She's not suddenly going to grow tall. She's not going to turn white. And she's not, she's not, she's not suddenly going to turn beautiful. She's ugly. Even with all the makeup. So, so there, the rabbis are not arguing. It's about Sarah. Why does Avram say, now I know she's beautiful? When they came down to Egypt, now, you know, why all of a sudden, now he discovered she's beautiful? She, the, the mother says she was the second most beautiful woman that ever lived in history after Chava. So now suddenly Avram discovers that his wife is gorgeous and stunning and beautiful. So actually Vilna Goyen says something very nice. He says, he says because it wasn't in her interest to be beautiful. She, she did everything to hide her beauty. Because she was afraid that people, she's going to stand out. No, she was afraid that she's going to stand out. The Egyptians, she was going down to a, a decadent culture. And it didn't help. Someone who's naturally beautiful, even no makeup, and even if she's dressed like a schlub, the beauty you just can't hide it. So now I know she's really beautiful. In other words, it's not just because you know you know how to make up, you know how to, to make yourself present yourself in a beautiful way, but she's inherently most beautiful. You can find an opening which is written in the Torah. We say to him, If you would have known, you're violating the biblical commandment, don't take revenge, and don't bear a grudge, and don't hate your brother in your heart. We have to and the mitzvah you have to love your fellow Jew like yourself, and the mitzvah and your brother shall live with you. He's poor and you have an obligation to provide his needs. And now, he, now you made a vow you can't. If you would have known all of that, would you have made the vow? If he says, It's, You couldn't nullify. So it's another leniency that Rabbi Meir says. Okay, so your mother says... The vower can say, 
support of everyone who's poor fall on me? I, I'm obligated? He said that one of the things you tell them is you have an obligation to support your brother. If a Jew is poor, you have an obligation to help him. So what do you mean? Every Jew that's poor, it's on my, my responsibility? My the Not just a blood brother. All, all other yeah. The other way around. My the Matilila No, sorry. I have to. I have to support him. I can support him with everyone else. I don't have to support him alone. My the Matilila Fanasi. It falls upon me individually. No, I can give money to the communal fund, and the community will support. Him. So I don't. I don't have to transgress my vow. I'm a lazy. Said to him, anyone who falls into poverty doesn't fall. Doesn't fall immediately to the administrator, the gabe, the communal funds. Before a person goes to the ask from the community, help from the community, first he goes to his relatives. He goes to his people he knows, individuals, please help me. When he's exhausted all of his options, then he goes to the community and, okay, I need some welfare, I need some help. So now that you, pre- now that you made a vow and you're prevent him, preventing him, you have a mitzvah to support your family. It's charity begins at home with your family, your friends. Your, so now you can no longer do that. You can't fulfill that mitzvah. So a person who didn't yet apply for communal funds, he's coming to you personally. Now that you made a vow, you can't. can't. The rabbis say, what if he won't be honest? The court is asking, or the rabbi is asking, would you have made the vow if you know you're violating all these mitzvahs? Instead of answering honestly, yes, I would. I couldn't care less. I'm so angry at this person, I don't care. Instead, he's too embarrassed and ashamed. So he's gonna he's gonna say, oh, of course, I would never I would never make that vow. I didn't realize. So it's not a real release. It's not genuine. No, the person who made the vow that I'm not gonna this person can't benefit from me, so I can't support him. I can't help him. So what happened to all these mitzvahs? Love your fellow Jew like yourself, and you have to help your your, your, your brother. Don't be a grudge. What capacity? The one who made the vow. I made the vow became poor. He didn't make it. Well, he didn't become poor. I'm rich. I'm. I'm out. That person can't take a penny from me. That person can benefit from me. That was the vow. I'm rich and he's poor. That person can benefit from me. So I can't help him because I can't take a penny from me. She said, "If you knew that you violated the mitzvah, you have to help your your poor brother, and you have to love your fellow Jew like yourself. You shouldn't be angry, and you shouldn't you shouldn't take revenge, right? And you shouldn't love your fellow Jew like yourself. For example, and and you shouldn't take beer grudge. Would you have done it? So what's he going to say? You know, yes, I would have done. it. He's not going to be honest. So the whole release is based on the false premise. That's why the rabbis say that we don't, and the mayor says you do. You could use it as an open." Next Mishnah. You find an opening for a person to release him from his vow based on his obligation to pay his wife's ksuva. If a person makes a vow and he's going to have to divorce his wife as a result, but he didn't realize at the time that means that he's going to have to pay her ksuva. He says, had I known that it would involve me paying the ksuva, it would, it would 
commit me to paying the ksuvah, I would never have made the vow. So that's a good opening. He gives an example. It was a person who made a vow, his wife is not all to benefit from him. Therefore, he had to divorce her because he's obligated to take care of her. If she can't benefit from him, then he can't live with her. It's his fault. He made a vow. He made it prohibited from her to benefit from him. But the ksuva was a lot of money. He committed to 400 dinners. Now he realized he has to divorce her and he has to come up with the money. And Rebekiva says, go give her the ksuva. You must. My father left me an inheritance of 800 dinners. Not We I split it in half between me and my brother. My brother and I. He took 400 and I have 400. It's not enough. I'll give her 200, which is the minimal that any ksuva is obligated. And I'll take 200. 200. She'll take 200. I'll take 200. I need some money to live. I'll never keep it. No. So even if you have to sell the hair on your head, you have to shave your hair and sell it, you have to come up with the money you're obligated to pay the ksuva. If I knew that to that extent that my vow caused me, as a consequence of my vow, I must divorce her, and as a consequence of the divorce, I must pay her the ksuva in full, and I'm going to be left without a penny. She's Penniless, listen, I would never make the vow. Based on that, Rabbi Kiva released him from the vow. It says, Movable items pledged to Aksuva. What's pledged to Aksuva is only uh, only unmovable items, karka, real estate. Rabbi Abaye says, karka He's talking about real estate that's worth 800 dinners. He took a half of the land, and he took half of the land. Rabbi Kiva said, even the hair on your head. What do you mean the hair on your head? It's not the same. It's, a, it's, not a, it's a movable item. Your answers. This is Rabbi Kiva told him. Told the husband. Even if that you, 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 by paying the ksuva, giving everything that you own, all your possession, meaning all your real estate, and then you have nothing left to live. You have to sell the here to food to eat to sell. You have to pay her the ksuva. I mean, you have to pay her the, the land. He wasn't saying that you have to give her the here of your head. That's that's movable. From here we learn. We don't make an assessment for a debtor. Usually, the Torah says, that before you collect money for, you, for, the, for the payment of a debt, you have to appraise him. And you have to leave him with enough to provide for his basic needs. A bed, a mat, tools for his, make a living, food for 30 days, clothing for 12 months. Anything beyond that, you take as payment. Others say no. You have to strip him of all his possessions. You don't even leave him anything for his basic needs. So Rabbi Kiva holds. From here we learn Rabbi Kiva sides with the opinion that you don't, you don't, 
prays to take everything, even though if he leaves him penniless, so much so that he has to sell the hair of his head, the hair just to live, just to put bread on the, on the table. Taita is speaking about when you take a mashkin, you want to take a mashkin, you want to take a pawn, you want to pawn something, so you can't pawn everything. You have to leave them. Right, basic necessities. Everything else you can take as a pawn. But here we're talking about paying the debt. Paying the debt, here we have an argument. One opinion is, you know, you also make an assessment. Others say, no, leave him penniless. So Rav Nachum Rav Yitzchak, Rav Nachum Rav Yitzchak says, he says, Rav Nachum Rav Yitzchak says, no, it's not murder. He says, we do make an assessment. But Rav Kiva meant, Rav Nachum Rav Yitzchak says, we don't tear it up. In other words, it remains in her hands. By law, he was telling him, let's follow. Even by law, we don't make an assessment. I'm saying, we, we do make an assessment. You don't have to impoverish yourself. We left you with nothing. But even if you went ahead and you voluntarily, you gave her everything you had, you made yourself penniless until you sold, you had to sell the hair of your head just to survive. Nevertheless, <coughs> she still holds on to the ksuba. You still have to pay in full. It's not like the case of Erechen. In Erechen, if a person says, I take upon the value of this person, depending on the male, female, age, Torah says it's a fixed value. You have to give to the temple treasure. Even if, what if you don't have the money? So then we evaluate. And whatever you could pay, and so we don't impoverish you, we don't bankrupt you. Then we evaluate, and then you pay, and then you're done. But in the case of uh, Ksuva, it's not like that. It's not like, okay, you don't have any money, so let's evaluate whatever you can pay, and then you're free. Let's take the Ksuva and tear it up. No, we're not going to tear up the Ksuva. You're still going to have to, you're still gonna have to uh, pay up when the time comes. Eventually, when so, he so you, Exactly. When you have money, you're on the hook for the full 400. So he says, had I known that, I would be on the hook. I thought, if I have no money, I only have 400. My brother took 400. I have 400. I'll, I'll keep half and she'll keep half and that will be good enough for me and then I, I that's why I made the vow I realized that I'm going to be on the hook for the full 400 even if you're going to leave me some money for now but still eventually I'm going to be on the full 400 I would never have made the vow I would keep it use that as a release everyone have to be continued have a wonderful day